Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. In recent days, January 6 defendants have been asking for time to review recently disclosed video footage that may prove their innocence. But one judge says granting a trial delay could affect dozens of cases. After the deaths of U.S. citizens, the Biden administration is facing pressure to crack down on Mexican cartels. How the White House reacts as Republicans call for sending troops. What are the origins of COVID-19 and why did the lab leak theory resurface only now? These are the questions being asked on Capitol Hill today. What lawmakers and witnesses tell us about their probes? Top intelligence officials share what they see as the biggest threats to national security. And one of those major threats could already be on your phone. And Russian forces are on the verge of capturing a city in eastern Ukraine. The head of NATO warns it may happen in just days. Since the release of 41,000 hours of January 6 video footage, a growing number of defendants are requesting trial delays so they can review it. A lawyer says the new footage seems to show there's a narrative that isn't entirely accurate. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Since the release of newly disclosed January 6 video footage, defendants have started asking judges to delay their trials. Attorney Jenna Ellis says defendants have a right to see evidence that may prove their innocence. And my concern is whether or not the attorneys on behalf of each of these uh, defendants were allowed access to all of the potential exculpatory material. That is required under the United States case Brady versus Maryland going back to 1963. That case requires that if the government is in possession of any potentially exculpatory evidence that even may tend to exonerate an individual, it's required that the government turn that over to the defense. There's some video that tends to suggest that there was one narrative that isn't entirely accurate. Um, I think that remains to be seen. Defendants like Shane Jenkins, who asked for a trial delay, argued that it would be a mistake for the government to withhold evidence. He said in filing papers, favorable evidence is material and constitutional error results from its suppression by the government. Jenkins was charged with disorderly conduct and physical violence, among other charges. Judge Amit Mehta hasn't ruled yet, and requests for delays filed by other defendants are also awaiting decisions. But defendant Sarah Carpenter's case went to trial on Monday, despite her requests for a delay. Carpenter faces two felony charges for obstruction and civil disorder. Judge James Bosberg said delaying the trial could derail dozens of trials that are set in the next few months. The prosecutor argued that he gave Carpenter access to almost 5 million files, such as over 30,000 files that include body-worn and handheld camera footage and surveillance camera footage from three law enforcement agencies. Ellis explained another reason prosecutors don't want to delay the trials. What I've reviewed of some of the filings um, of the January 6 defendants is that the DOJ was arguing that there's a separation of powers issue where they were not able to obtain everything from Congress. And so they said, hey, it's not our responsibility to provide this to the defense. 
Under the previous Democrat-controlled Congress, prosecutors weren't given access to the additional footage, but the new Republican-controlled Congress under Speaker Kevin McCarthy has granted access to all of the files. I continue to hold that my job here, just like I was asked long before, is to make sure all the transparency comes out, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a Democrat, criticized McCarthy and Tucker Carlson over the footage, saying it poses grave security risks. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The Biden administration is facing pressure to crack down on drug cartels amid the killings of U.S. citizens. This as Republicans call for tougher measures. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. The kidnapping in Mexico last week, which left two U.S. citizens dead, is renewing calls for the Biden administration to strengthen border security and crack down on drug cartels. And Republican Senator Lindsey Graham on Wednesday called for using U.S. troops in Mexico to go after the drug cartels. We're going to unleash the fury and might of the United States against these cartels. And he urges the administration to designate at least nine Mexican cartels as foreign terrorist organizations, or FTOs. It means that all the precursors coming for China, Chinese chemical companies and Chinese enterprises, would be subject to being prosecuted under U.S. law for providing material support to foreign terrorist organizations, something you can't do today. But the White House on Wednesday would not voice support for that idea, saying there have been sanctions already in place. Look, designating these cartels as FTOs would not grant us any additional uh, authorities that we don't really have at this time. So the United States has powerful sanctions authorities specifically des designated to combat narcotics trafficking organizations. And when it comes to using troops in Mexico, I'm just not going to get into uh, the military and how it's being used. The White House says the U.S. is working with the Mexican government to pursue those involved in the latest attack. But Republicans say Mexico has long been a safe haven for drug cartels, adding that if it does not cooperate, the U.S. should take stronger measures to protect national security. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. The House subcommittee probing the origins of COVID is shining a spotlight on hypotheses once silenced and mocked as conspiracy theories. While lawmakers tell us getting to the bottom of the search will prove challenging, they say they won't cease trying. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more from Capitol Hill. One big takeaway from this hearing was that lawmakers from both sides of the aisle expressed a willingness to look into the possibility of a lab leak. Now, this is in light of those new details emerging. And after the FBI director publicly endorsed this as a possibility, but overall, lawmakers are still largely in the dark. The truth is we don't know the origins of COVID-19 yet for sure. We don't have a smoking gun. These have never been seen before in any other viruses of its type. Both parties were also united in expressing a discontent with the Chinese Communist Party's cover-up of the COVID origins. Congressman Ami Bera saying that if not for this, the virus would have not caused as much damage as it did. Here's Congressman Bera speaking on this point to me after this hearing. The lack of transparency, the lack of from day one, allowing the world's best scientists to get into the hot zone to understand what was going on, probably has prevented us from you know, getting control of this pandemic much faster. 
Now there were moments that deviated from this topic because some lawmakers took issue with one of the witnesses, Nicholas Wade, accusing him of having racist views based on a book he wrote in 2014. Wade denied these allegations. Now as for why the lab leak theory was suppressed for so long, some Republicans have pointed fingers at our government. I think they had a narrative. They wanted to continue with a narrative. So I think the American people deserve to know answers and why their government actually clamped down and took away the liberties and freedoms that our Constitution grants us as American citizens. Now, another witness, Dr. Metzl, repeatedly stated that he believes there was a false consensus pushed on the public from the beginning as an effort to shift perception about the pandemic. After the hearing, I asked him why he thinks this false consensus was pushed on the public, and his answer was along the lines that there are so many who have invested decades in building scientific collaborations. We can't buy those collaborations by just closing our eyes when there is obvious wrongdoing. And a, a scientist in China is very different than a scientist in the United States. Maybe a great person, maybe when a critically important issue uh, is at stake, cannot speak openly or honestly. This is the first of many hearings, and later this week, lawmakers may inch closer to uncovering more details. A floor vote is scheduled for Friday in the House that would urge the intelligence community to declassify as much information as they can about the CCP virus. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Top intelligence officials shared what they think are the major threats to national security. And they all agreed that the app TikTok is a major security risk to the United States. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Top-ranking members of the intelligence community were in the hot seat on Wednesday. They gave their global threat assessment in a hearing held by the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. And as many expected, the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, pointed to the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. In brief, the CCP represents both the leading and most consequential threat to U.S. national security and leadership globally, and its intelligence-specific ambitions and capabilities make it for us our most serious and consequential intelligence rival. And Senator Cornyn said the U.S. is, in effect, financing its number one adversary. We had a witness that... Um testified last May, I think it was, that the current market value of U.S. investments in China uh, were worth $2.3 trillion. In other words, Americans, American investment in China has been financing the rise of China's economy and the rise of their military might. And he said he's unable to know exactly what the U.S. investments in China are due to a lack of transparency. There's no question that something that would create greater transparency would give us more information about this, and that would be valuable from our perspective. Senator Marco Rubio brought up another risk posed by the CCP, TikTok. Could they use it to drive narratives, uh, like to divide Americans against each other? For example, let's say China wants to invade Taiwan to make sure that Americans are seeing videos arguing why Taiwan belongs to China and why the U.S. should not intervene? Yes. The intelligence community just released its annual assessment of worldwide threats to national security. It details the risks posed by China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and climate change. Senator Tom Cotton said he's concerned over the politicization of the analysis. He brought up part of the report to CIA Director William Burns. Director Burns, do you agree that 
racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists are a more lethal threat to Americans than ISIS or al-Qaeda? Well, I agree, I agree with, um, Senator, with what Director Haynes just said, that if you measure this in terms of, you know, American lives lost or people who were wounded, I think those statistics bear that out. I find this astonishing. The hearing continued on in a classified setting. To see the annual intelligence report in full, you can find it at odni.gov. Jason Perry, NTD News. Turning to the war in Ukraine, the head of NATO is warning that a Ukrainian city may fall to Russian forces within days. Bakhmut is a salt mining town that had a population of 80,000 before the war. It's located in the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said today the city may eventually fall in the coming days. The Russian mercenary group Wagner said it's already captured the eastern bank of the city. Russia says capturing the city would allow further offensive actions into Ukraine. Stoltenberg says it would not necessarily be a turning point in the war. Meanwhile, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is declining an invitation from the Ukrainian president. McCarthy said he doesn't plan to visit and that he doesn't support giving Ukraine a blank check. House Republicans are divided on whether to send more aid to Ukraine. And more on China. U.S. Intel chiefs today publishing a report saying China is likely to press Taiwan and seek to undercut the U.S. in the coming years. That's on the heels of the regime's leader making pointed remarks against the U.S. in a speech and a highly unusual move and other developments in the dynamics between these two powers. To break it all down today and assess the threat and meaning of these changes, I spoke with General Robert Spaulding, who served in the United States Air Force and is now a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. General Robert Spaulding, thanks so much for coming on again. It's great to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, CCP leader Xi Jinping on Monday blamed the U.S. for containing, encircling, and suppressing China. It was a rare moment of direct public affront from Xi to the U.S. The terms used recall the Cold War, which some commentators say points to a shift in Xi's stance toward a more nationalistic rhetoric. Do you sense a change in Beijing's stance here? I really do. You know, I've been um, associated and looking at the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Liberation Army, Army uh, the Chinese government, and when uh, when they typically have a challenge uh, with regard to something the United States has done, they say some other country or a third country, they never directly call out the United States. The fact that he directly called out the United States in the uh, two sessions meeting uh, to the Chinese Communist Party indicates we're entering a new phase of the relationships. It's it's not something that is um, that we didn't expect. You know, we're entering and we have entered the cold, the second Cold War. And I think this just shows you where China is headed there. They recognize that it's becoming a bipolar world. You know, they're going to be leading the let's say the unfree part of the world. And America is going to be leading the free part of the world. And they want to make that message known to the Chinese Communist Party. So I think it's a huge shift in the way that um, Chinese Communist Party is interacting not only internally to China, but with the rest of the world. National Security Council coordinator for strategic communications, John Kirby, said yesterday the U.S. doesn't want conflict with China, but strategic competition. That's been our approach for some decades now. Do you think it's possible to keep going with this when China's taking the stance that it's taking now? 
Well, I think the part of the problem with Washington, D.C. and how we do China policy is that we fail to recognize that there's two parties in, in any relationship. And in this case, we, we, we try to telegraph the kind of relationship that we want. Um, and it's an honest uh, telegraphing of the relationship. We don't want to be in a conflict. But when you get on the other side and you look at from China's point of view, you know, the other party to this relationship, they actually see it as a conflict. They don't message it that way because what they're afraid of is if we treat them like the Soviet Union, they'll be cut off from the technology, talent, and capital of free societies. And they don't want that. They want to be able to take all the technology, talent, and capital away from us while still being in this, you know, stealth conflict, you know, where they're undermining us from within. Eventually, it's going to turn uh, militaristic, particularly with regard to Taiwan. So when we say we don't want a Cold War, we're basically mirroring, mirror imaging China, and we're giving them what they want. And I think we have to recognize that there's two parties to this relationship. They see us as in a Cold War, and we have to accept that. We can't just wish it away. Taiwan's defense minister this week confirmed that he's in discussions on storing U.S. military ammunition in Taiwan. If the U.S. does set up an armament depot on the island, do you think that would mark a significant change in U.S. policy, as one Taiwanese lawmaker has asserted, and essentially formalize the alliance? Well, that's what the Chinese Communist Party would like us to believe, right? If the Chinese Communist Party says, oh, we've changed the game somehow because we are you know, bringing these weapons into Taiwan. It's not, it's not honest. It's not true. And I think it's part of the messaging they do. And, and it's part of they're trying to get us to do what they want us to do. So in many ways, we do that. We say, oh, you know, for instance, McCarthy's not going to go to Taiwan because he doesn't want to provoke China. What this allows the Chinese Communist Party to do is essentially influence U.S. behavior because we think that they are going to be somehow angered. This is all part of their propaganda so that they can control everything that happens with regard to the U.S.-Taiwan relationship. The U.S. intelligence community today released its 2023 annual threat assessment, which warned of threats posed by China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. China tops the list. The report says Beijing is boosting its military power along with its economic, technological and diplomatic influence and that it'll work to press Taiwan on unification and seek to undercut U.S. influence by driving wedges between Washington and its partners. What do you think the U.S. should do to help prepare Taiwan and also deter China from taking belligerent actions? Well, this is a, some, one of the things that I've uh, said and people don't realize. The Chinese Communist Party is enabling Russia to continue to fight their war uh, with Ukraine. And so, uh, and they're doing that through their relationship with the United States. So they're getting resources from the United States, China is, and they're giving that to Russia to support their, that conflict. And at the same time, the U.S. is giving supplies, resources to Ukraine. So essentially, by through its relationship with China, its economic, its financial uh, and, and, and political and social relationships with China, we're giving them the things that they need to give to Russia to perpetuate this conflict. So in having these relationships with China, you know, and understanding that they actually seek the destruction of the free world, we're creating the problem. 
And so the way that we handle that problem is essentially by decoupling from China, not giving them the benefit of our relationship. And then what we do is the same thing we did during the first Cold War, and that is to have relationships with other free societies that are inclusive, that allow for free trade, that allow for free interaction between those peoples. And then we isolate the Chinese Communist Party, and we do it over a long period of time and force their system to reconcile the fact that nobody really wants to live that way. The only way the Chinese Communist Party you know, is successful in terms of economic growth and providing for its people is if it has connection to the West. And it uses those connections to do things like support the Russians. So if we want to have a change, we have to actually break that relationship and then severely isolate China from our relationship with other free societies. So with Europe, with other countries in Asia that we are, that we are partners with, we have to say, look, if you want to be America's partner, you're going to have to isolate the Chinese Communist Party because we have to force them to reconcile the fact that they are a totalitarian system, that their people don't really thrive under, and therefore they can't be economically prosperous, and they can't be, you know, have the ability to continue to grow their military power because they don't have the, the system that really enables people to reach their true potential. General Robert Spaulding, Senior Fellow at the Hudson Institute, thank you so much once again. Thank you. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And up next, Florida under attack from legacy media and activists over its policies on books in schools. Governor Ron DeSantis calls it a hoax. LeBron James has earned more than $1.5 billion in salaries and endorsements, yet he's only number six on the list of highest-earning athletes. We'll have the full list and more coming up. Over in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is speaking out again. He's reacting to criticisms that his administration is banning books from school libraries. Teachers who display or give a student a book deemed unallowed could face up to five years in prison. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Wednesday pushed back on the claim that Florida schools are emptying their libraries. We've uh heard different things put out. There was a Duval County school video where they took a, a video of empty bookshelves and they say the state of Florida doesn't want books. You know, they're trying to censor books and all this stuff. Turned out that was a hoax. Turned out that individual who did that in the school system was fired. Last year, Florida enacted a series of new laws that banned critical race theory, gender theory, and other ideologies rooted in Marxism from schools. The laws also require schools to be transparent about the selection of their library and reading materials. DeSantis said legacy media are trying to create a political narrative. That's a false narrative in service of using our schools uh, for indoctrination rather than education. And we've drawn a very firm line in the sand in Florida about that. Uh, we believe in, in strong, rigorous education. We believe in the rights of parents to be involved in the education of their children and therefore have enacted curriculum transparency legislation. The new laws require school districts to report the number of books being removed. 
The latest figures show that 23 school districts across Florida reported removing 175 books, which were identified as problematic. You know, I think a lot of districts never had any problem, right? I mean, I think, but, but some did. 87% of the books that were identified as school districts um, as being problematic, um, they were pornographic, violent, or inappropriate for the grade level in some other manner. DeSantis emphasized that the new laws aim to protect Florida children from age-inappropriate content, and he argued that schools should get back to the basics. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Michael Jordan retired nearly two decades ago, but he's still the highest paid earning athlete of all time at more than $3 billion, according to a new study by Sportico.com. The study factors in not only salaries and bonuses earned, but outside investments and endorsements as well, even in retirement, and is adjusted for inflation. Now, Jordan was only the highest paid NBA player for two of his seasons, but his relationship with Nike, which started in 1984 and continues to this day, has earned him an estimated $1.8 billion. Beyond him, numbers two through four in the list are all golfers, Tiger Woods, Arnold Palmer, and Jack Nicklaus. Woods at $2.5 billion has had numerous endorsements over the years, while Nicholas has helped design hundreds of golf courses, and Palmer, who passed away in 2016, was still earning roughly $40 million a year in endorsements and licensing. Soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo was fifth at just over $1.5 billion, with LeBron James just a tad behind him. Now, James has had many endorsements as well, but has also made more than $400 million in salary and is scheduled to make better than $50 million each of the next two seasons. James and Jordan are two of 13 NBA players in the top 50, while only three NFL stars, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees, and two baseball stars, Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez, made the cut. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has seven games on, including the home debut for former MVP Kevin Durant as his Phoenix Suns host his former team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. And finally, for you hockey fans, just three games on tonight. One of them is a match between two of the original six franchises who've frankly seen better days as the struggling Detroit Red Wings, losers of six in a row, host the last place Chicago Blackhawks. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.